The following is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're going to be talking about big picture parenting. That is the idea of having larger concepts and what do you want your kids to do or what do you want them to learn while they're in your home, while they're young, while you have the option of giving them the values and ideas that are important to you. So the big things that you want them to learn and then also uh, maybe using that big picture focus to not stress the small things so much. Great. Yeah, exactly. And I did this on a lot of fronts. I have a lot of examples of them. And today we're going to talk about just a couple of them. The first one, the first example I want to bring up is, it's a simple one. It's not emotional. It has to do with swimming. I really, really wanted my kids to be good swimmers. First, for lots of reasons. I wanted them to be, I wanted them to be safe. Uh, I wanted them to be able to interact with friends and give them another option to participate in childhood activities. And I felt like the house I grew up in, we were swimmers. And, you know, we often, we lived in Southern California for a lot of years. We had, I was on swim teams. I just, swimming was a integral part of my life. And I wanted my kids, if they weren't going to swim as much as me, I still wanted them to have that option if that was something they wanted to do. So swimming was very important. Now we raised our kids in St. George. It was very, very hot in the summers and St. George, Utah. And we, I wanted, we always had access to a pool, whether it was a neighbor's pool, whether it was my mother's, uh, you know, grandma's pool in her condo association, wherever it was. Or eventually we had, a, had our own pool. I, we always had access because it was so hot. And so part of that was getting to the pool often on a daily basis during the summer. And when my kids were little, as they're learning to swim, I would arrive to the pool. And as we were arriving, I would kind of give them an expectation. And we talked about that a little bit in our uh, in podcast number one, just giving expectation, having everyone be on the same page with expectations. And we, I would say, okay, today, if I have a swimmer who can't quite get down the full length of the pool, I would say, okay, before you start playing, you need to jump in and go back and forth between the short distance of the pool two times. Or if they were a little more advanced, you need to be able to dive in and swim as far as you can, holding your breath, come up and then swim to the end of the pool or whatever it was. Some little, little thing. It didn't have to take a lot of time. It might stress them and by, you know, a little stretch them a little, I guess is what I mean. And it would give them something to do. And then they were free to play. But it allowed me as a mother to help them advance in this skill and it didn't put it didn't put heavy pressure on them to do it all at once. And it got them to a point where once they were decent swimmers, they didn't have to do that anymore unless they wanted to keep going with speed or another kind of, you know, take do a flip off the diving board or some other thing that would kind of stretch them a little. 
But it became a, it was kind of a game. It was kind of something that was super playful. And it allowed me as a parent to help integrate something that was important to me. We did it daily and then year after year as we were participating in the activity. And it allowed them to continue to grow in that skill. A couple of themes that I'm picking up on uh, as we're doing this, these podcasts, which it's kind of fun to reflect on all of this. As, as I look at our parenting, and again, this is a day-to-day thing that, that you mostly did, I'm thinking of consistency, which we have talked about, but then also advanced planning. One thing that we discussed on a previous podcast was how we would huddle, we would have conversations about the kids, what they need. And this is another example where rather than just show up with pool toys and, all right, you know, jump in, have fun, uh, leave me alone while I read a book, you came with something in mind of, okay, here is a certain skill, here is a task I want them to do. Right. And it didn't have, it didn't come close to taking up our whole swim time. It was a minute at the start, you know, a couple minutes at the start, and then they were free to play as much as they wanted. And that is the kind of thing I would do all the time. It's, you know, get your task done first thing in the morning and we'll, you know, in during the summer. And then you'll have plenty of time for play, for to read a book, to do whatever it is you want. But I want something for you as a parent. And so that's a big part of this big picture parenting. Okay. And so one thing I wanted for the kids is um, I wanted them to be able to roll with the punches to be able to uh, take kind of a flexible approach to life and not get tripped up too much when things don't work out as they planned. And this kind of has to do with justice and injustices and small injustices. So I started picking up with our oldest daughter. You know, she's just very passionate and has this strong sense of right and wrong. Where does she get that? Yeah, exactly. She gets that from her mother (laughs) and from, uh, no, which which is a great thing. But, uh, you know, you've talked, yeah, you've talked about this. It can be debilitating at times. And so I saw that with our oldest daughter, that little injustices, they just kind of shut her down. And so in part of the foolishness that I had with the kids, a game that they love slash hated, I called fair and square. And how old were our kids? Oh man, they were tiny, but Lucy played too. So they must have been like, Started when they were probably six or so. Five, yeah, five or six. Probably did it for four years or so. So from the time those were like six to ten, and you know they they were tight clusters, so the others would have been like two to six. And so we would do it on the trampoline, and uh, I would have a ball that would bounce just in crazy ways. But then you have four bodies on a trampoline moving around, so anytime they move for the ball it's going to do something weird. So I would toss it out and uh, it would be the first one to get it. And uh, then I would just have all sorts of crazy rules that, you know, they always changing. Oh man, the points were completely random and they'd have, uh, they'd have points taken away for just the most random things. So, but you know, never intending to shame anyone or reprimand. I mean, they were laughing the whole time, even though, I mean, for cracking a smile, they could lose all of their points. And I mean, just just the most random stuff. And so I think they kind of loved the creativity, the silliness of it, and especially loved when someone else would 
you know, have their points taken away or they would get 10,000 points for, you know, whatever. But so the point of fair and square was we were just going to get together and have a good time and we were going to chase the ball. And sometimes I was going to throw it right to, you know, little Lucy. And, you know, since Zell was the biggest and most aggressive, I would intentionally, you know, throw it away from her. So she'd have to work a little harder to get it. And well, that wasn't fair. Right. But you know that I guess, was but there kind was of, no fighting. It was yeah. Oh you no, couldn't challenge the you ref. could not challenge the ref. <laughs> so that was the thing is it because everything the ref did was fair and square, no matter what the what the referee didn't. So you know, I think I hope that they had a lot of fun with that. They sure wanted to play it all the time, and who knows, maybe that's just going to lead to all the therapy they they need. But uh, you know, hopefully, it instilled something that you can have a lot of fun. You don't have to keep scoring, even if you keep scoring. All of your points are suddenly taken away or, you know, little Lucy gets a ball and gets 10 million points and wins the game. Then who cares? We're just together having fun. Well, and I love what I loved is they would come in the house. They were happy. They'd been running and playing. They were giggling and they felt completely safe in this space with you that there wasn't you weren't trying to humiliate. You weren't trying to make huge you know, teach huge lessons. You were teaching these small lessons every time you guys played. And I think the kids, they're certainly not as uh, hard-headed as me when it comes to rights and wrongs. They they can roll with things a lot more. So I loved that you did that with our kids. Uh, the, another example of this, and this is one I'm actually fairly proud of, no, I'm very proud of that. I really wanted my kids. I felt like as a mother, as a parent, I didn't want them to starve when they left my home. I wanted them to know how to cook. Uh, and uh, I wanted them to know how to cook something other than prepackaged meals. And if they never cooked after they left my home, that was okay. I just wanted to make sure they had the skill. So I did a few things, and this will give you an example of how these things, this, I knew this was something that was important to me. I impl I started to implement it when they were uh, fairly young, probably around 10, 11, and it worked until they left the home and in different kind of phases. So that's why I want to, you have a sense of exactly how this would would happen. So when they were Around, yeah, 10, 11, 12, they were responsible for certain chores around the house. And during the summer, let's say they were 12 years old. During the summer, they were responsible for making, learning how to make three meals that summer. They, I, I implemented the, you watch me do it once, then you do it, I'll do it along with you the next time, and then I'll watch you do it to make sure you can do it. And then they would have to do that meal a couple more times. So they probably would do that probably, I'm going to say, six times through the summer. So if they were doing three different meals, six different times, you know, that would get us through a chunk of the summer. I would do the other meals. Well, now year 13 comes. Okay, now we're going to do the same thing and implement more meals. So the idea is by the time they could do 10 full meals without my help, they were, they no longer had to worry. You know, then I knew they were good. That was my, that was my mark. And it was a number I just picked. 
and it they couldn't it couldn't be boxed it couldn't be boxed macaroni and cheese but if they wanted to make homemade macaroni and cheese that counted they had to do a few things they had to know how to roast a chicken if you don't know how to do it it's super easy so that's but it feels like a big deal so they had to do spaghetti they had to do tacos i mean some of these are the simple go-to meals we all make but i wanted them to be able to do that they got to pick some i got to pick some but by the time they were 14 15 they were doing you know i they had to pass off or check off that they could do those 10 meals and it always culminated the year they were 16 and and so in our house we baked we cooked you know it was I'm not the biggest foodie, but I do like food and I like good food. So, you know, they were part of all of that, even outside of the the formal cooking that I was having them do. They would help with meals. They would chop things. They would bake things. But the year of their 16th birthday, they knew they were responsible for Thanksgiving dinner. So they could delegate some. And, oh, and one thing, I'm going to step back just a minute. During their 14th and 15th year, as they were doing meals, they actually had to create the shopping list as well. I didn't want them shopping for me. I like to do that. It, and so they would have to sit down and write their shopping list out and go through it, the house. What are we, you know, if it needs carrots, do we have carrots or do I need to buy them? You know, so what goes on? What do you need for your food? And then what actually goes on the shopping list that mom has to pick up? So as long as all the food was in the house, they could make their meals. Okay, so same thing. Now it's Thanksgiving. They're 16 years old. And they are, this person is, and my child is, making the full shopping list. We pretty much do the same meal every Thanksgiving. But like 90% of America. <laughs> like, yeah, any, any guesses yeah. what it is? All the same things you guys are probably making. But they could add in something here or there, take something out. They could decide, do they want homemade rolls or do they want to just do the freezer rolls? I wasn't particular. They couldn't do everything freezer ready, but they, you know, and and did they want to, they had to do the turkey, they had to do the mashed potatoes, all of those things. And they got to pick at what level. The other thing is they could delegate. They They had to know how to make everything on that list, but mostly they were able I knew they would be able to do it which is part of cooking running the kitchen and kitchen and getting other people to and help. yeah so you're so they would for sure delegate but the other thing I would have them do is kind of map out over the two or three prep days when do the pies need to be made because we only had one oven so when do the pies need to be made when do you um, you know how do you fit things in the refrigerator when do on the day of when do things need to start cooking finish cooking so that everything gets to the table hot that's supposed to be hot and cold that's supposed to be cold and everything's there at the same time and I was there always to help them but they were running the kitchen and my feeling was my thought was if they knew how to cook all the food and they tried it once tried to do a Thanksgiving dinner and we would have guests I mean sometimes there were 10, 15 people at the, or more at the, at our Thanksgiving, they would, they wouldn't ever be afraid of a meal in the future. There would be very little that would scare them once they were in the kitchen. So all of that, and then once they were done and they passed it off, 
that was up to them. And they, they, as adults, some cook, some don't. I'm completely fine because I know as a parent, I did my job. They know how to cook. And many of them do circle back to me and say, okay, talk to me about this recipe. Why did you do it this way? What did you do? And we can talk through it now that they have their own homes or, you know, their own kitchens and they can kind of figure out what their sense of food is. So do we, do we have a best cook? I don't know. Ruth is, Ruth really loves to cook. Yeah, I think. Does, and Ike has in his. Ike and Lucy, she cooks quite a bit. How about do. Zell? Does Zell cook much? She has some food issues. So yeah. she. <laughs> she has a very boring palate. So she can cook, and I know, you know, but she she does something a little different, more, you know, non-traditional. Yeah, but yeah, they're good cooks. It's a, That's pretty cool. I came from a household where uh, my mom could sort of cook three crummy meals. And uh, yeah, it's fun being in a house where, uh, yeah, there's cooking going on. And uh, that's why I'm a fat boy. I like how we eat. Um, but, okay. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No. no, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, so that takes us back to the concept of big picture parenting. I just named the two, or the two things I did where I talked about swimming and I talked about cooking. Maybe those are things important to you. Maybe they're not. But the concept works the same. And the same with fair and square in your game is what is the concept you're wanting to teach? And then how do you work backwards? What a, What's age appropriate for them now? What can you implement in a little bit in the future? Knowing, of course, that things change in families and circumstances and all that. But all you can do is plan for what you know now and and move forward doing the best parenting you can. And that's the kind of thing we implemented. Academic achievement meant something to both of us. That's kind of a crummy way of saying it. I mean, having kids with functional brains who, you know, can think through things and who have opportunities, that always mattered to us. In the state, I chaired our Senate Higher Education Appropriations Committee, um, and I was on it from my very beginnings in the legislature. So, you know, I knew when our kids were really young that uh, math is the burial ground of higher education aspirations. You know, why do we teach math in college? Uh, So not too many of our kids will graduate it. So it seems obviously not true. Math is important and you need to be able to know math to go to the grocery store to do basic things. And so math was important to me because I know that this math can be scary to people. Math can trip people up in uh, things they want to do. I'm a big believer that education happens when a mind is energized, a mind is excited. Education doesn't happen that well when kid is sitting there with homework in an open book wishing wishing that he or she were outside jumping on a tramp or doing something different. And so uh, I wanted our kids, you know, math, math's pretty dang easy at the end of the day. A lot of the rote stuff, sorry to people who want to kill yeah, me. Yeah, that makes me cry. Yeah, sorry for people who want to kill me by saying that. But they're just basic rules. You apply them every time and, and they work every time. And I think part of your deal, Sarah, is you have a very functional deal, math just scared the bejeebers out of you as a kid and you never you never move past that. I think that's what happens happens with a lot of folks. And so what I did, what are we goal oriented parenting? What are we big parenting? picture parenting? Big picture parenting. Math. I wanted them to be able to deal with that easily in that I knew would not involve sitting down with textbooks, you know, doing it thirty minutes, one hour at a time, one assignment at a time. So I wanted 
them to be able to understand how numbers work and what are the basic concepts of math. So we would have math camp, and uh, they would look forward to that all the time. I'd announce a math camp, and typically we would have one for sure the last day of school. Uh, so when school ended, um, we would start off the summer by talking about numbers and math, and it involved tons of bribes, M&Ms and Oreos, and, you know, we would pitch a tent and sleep out on the front yard, and we would just go over math. And so all of our conversations, all of our stories, everything we did at math camp would involve numbers and a lot of rewards, a lot of encouragement. There wasn't really anything to get wrong. We were just exploring new concepts and you know, let's talk about at an early age, can add by one, well, here are twos, and then we'll wait. If we skip every other one, that's four. Then if we skip every other one, that's eight. And so, you know, then tens are easy. You just so just have them get some big gains right away to where they realize, oh, my God, you know, there's nothing to math. A, they had a lot of fun. B, that was uh, really a great bonding opportunity I had with them. And, you know, then the day we're camping and having fun, enjoying each other. And see camping they, in the yard, camping in the yard, yeah. And uh, see, they're they're awfully good at math. And and I'm I'm gonna say, you know, you talked, you said every the last day of school. I mean, of course, when we're saying this, this is chapters of time. Yeah, these you are know. young kids. We're he not, didn't have the 15 year old kid <laughs> <laughs> sitting in. That's but, a dork. Uh, he was a dork for other reasons at that point, but not math camp. So, okay. Yeah, I I think this is a lot of some good examples of how we did p- big yeah, picture by the, parenting. By the time they were, you know, teenagers, they had those times tables down. Yeah, they didn't need math camp anymore. <laughs> well, this is a good example of our big picture parenting. I have a number of other good examples that you will hear on future podcasts, but I didn't want to do them all at once. But I think this is a good example or a number of good examples of how we worked backwards from the concepts we knew we wanted our kids to have and and learn and then how we integrated them into daily life and over time how those uh, things kept coming up. And all of these stories are positive things that we were working on with them and so it gave us projects that Together we were working, they were exercising their minds, their bodies, and working toward good things. The Perfect Parenting Podcast is a production of Vanguard Media. Steve Urquhart and Sarah Urquhart are the hosts, writers, and creators of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the executive producer. Hammond Chamberlain is the associate producer and sound engineer. And Shayla Don is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Perfect Parenting Podcast. I'm Chris Van Garrett. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.